0: This is your own voice. The podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host Amy Breslow. Each week I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. This particular episode makes reference to a practitioner, a Facebook page, and a program. The comments made simply reflect the personal experience of my guest and should not be considered an endorsement. Your own voice does not endorse any practitioner, Facebook page, or program episode 18. My guest today is Liz, who identifies as an Asian-American and a Chinese-American Hapa. Liz prefers the pronouns she and her. Hello, Liz. Welcome to Your Own Voice. I am so pleased to have you here.
1: Hi, Amy. I'm so happy to be here.
0: So, Liz, I'd like to start off by asking, how do you identify
1: I identify as a female Asian American and as a Chinese American HAPA. HAPA being the Hawaiian term for mixed, which I think today a lot of people use to mean anyone who's mixed with Asian ancestry.
0: Where are you from?
1: So I'm from Southwest Florida uh, from a small town called Cape Coral. And my mom's from upstate New York. My dad is of Chinese descent, but he grew up in Indonesia.
0: And what pronouns do you prefer?
1: Um, She and her are fine.
0: So Liz, when in your life did you first become aware of different gender roles?
1: So I actually grew up in two households. Um, The first and more dominant one being my mom and my grandma's household. And so my mom was a single mom and, and an elementary school teacher. So she was constantly working, if not at school, then doing odd jobs, tutoring and teaching the piano and things like that to make ends meet. Um, And then my grandma kind of ran the home front and helped out with the cooking and cleaning. There were obviously no gender roles because it was both women. On the weekends, I visited my dad and my stepmom and they had a much more traditional household. My dad, as I said, is um, Chinese. My stepmom grew up in Beijing during the Cultural Revolution Mm. and they were both very traditionally minded. My stepmom was more than happy to play a supporting role in everything they did from the business they ran to the way the house was run. In fact, I remember her telling me that she didn't know how to cook when she came to the U.S., but my dad taught her so that she could cook for him (laughs) because he didn't want to do it. And I thought that was really funny. But my mom, having been married twice and then been single for the rest of her life, she always taught me to be independent and to put my career first and my ability to take care of myself on my own without needing a man before anything else. So I think that's the mindset that I had growing up more so um, than that of my dad and my stepmom. I'm curious, how was
0: that going back and forth between these two households that had very different gender dynamics. Were you aware of it or was it just like your normal?
1: I think it was my normal because I had my stepmom since I was two years old. So basically as long as I can remember. And I'm not sure how much of I thought about the gender roles so much as I thought of it as a cultural difference. Um, In my dad's household, they spoke Chinese to each other. The English to me for the most part. I wish they had forced me to speak Chinese so that I would now be fluent, but I'm not. But they also called me by my middle name, Ming. So I was kind of like in a whole different world when I was there as opposed to in my mom's house. One other sort of funny thing I thought I'd share is that when I was older, I don't know, maybe around 25 or so, my stepmom set me down and told me how women are like flowers. And now I've blossomed. um, But I should try to find a man basically before I start to wilt. I kind of just sat there politely and said, Yeah, okay. But when I told my mom about it, she just laughed. She thought it was the most ridiculous thing. And so did I.
0: Liz, what issues of gender do you confront in the workplace, or is it a non-issue for you?
1: In my current workplace, it's mostly a non-issue in that I don't confront prejudice on a daily basis or anything like that. I've had two kids and breastfed and pumped for quite a while, still breastfeeding one. And nobody ever complained or gave me a hard time about it. Um, Although I would say that because I was breastfeeding, uh, I did travel less than I would have. So it's definitely impacted my job in in some ways. But one story I wanted to share was an internship story that I did when I was in college. I came to D.C. um, to work at a place that does open source analysis on world events And for some reason or another, the front desk person wasn't there for a period of time. And I was asked to cover the front desk. At the time, I was just a happy, eager intern. I didn't think anything of it. And I actually, as a kid, I helped out at the front desk in my dad's acupuncture office during the summertime. So I was like, oh, this is no problem. I can answer the phones. But my direct supervisor was furious that I was asked to do that. He said, I had done everything he had asked and done a good job. Why was I being asked to do such a thing? I just didn't get it. I was so naive. Um, But looking back, I realized that I was definitely asked to do that because I was a female intern and probably even singled out even more as an Asian American intern because the man who was running the program a Caucasian man was married to a Mongolian. And I just remember him showing me a picture of his wife and sort of in a creepy, what I think was a creepy way saying, oh, isn't she exotic? And I'm like, I guess, you know. Um, but like I said, I didn't realize that at the time. And I just hoped out. And, and that was that. I do think I grew up in a place that was not very diverse as far as Asian Americans go. I think you'd hear a very different story from someone who grew up in California or something like that. Uh, where I'm from in Florida, the biggest minority groups were Latino and also African Americans. I guess there was maybe one other Asian American that I can remember having classes with, and that was in middle school. And so I always felt like the unique person. And being mixed made me feel even more unique, but I enjoyed that. I thought it was a good thing on the one hand. On the other hand, I didn't like it if in college a guy said, oh, I've never dated an Asian girl before, as if, I don't know, I'm supposed to want to please him and then date him. That definitely was a guarantee that I wasn't going to date him.
0: (laughs) So as I'm sure you're aware, these past couple years have been really different in terms of the conversation around gender since Me Too and Time's Up. I'm wondering, in your opinion, what do you think is possible today that was not possible even a few years ago?
1: Uh, I think awareness is definitely way up in terms of people just understanding that this happens to women a lot more than we may have realized before. And I think there's also now spaces for people who want to talk and share their experiences and help maybe get over some of the trauma that weren't there before. And I think that's wonderful. If we may go back to your question about what when I first became aware of gender. Yeah, please. Another thing that I thought about with that is those are my memories that I just shared of thinking about gender. But I realize now as a mom with two small kids, I have a son who's four, and a daughter who's two, that they are just inundated with gender specific items and thoughts and words from the time they come out of the womb. Um, And you can't avoid it even if you wanted to, even if you had a 100% gender neutral home when they went to school or friends' houses, it just wouldn't be that way. And in our case, we have a lot of hand-me-downs as far as clothes go, and they're definitely along those gender lines. I am grateful that I had my son first because now my daughter has a more sort of gender-neutral space and she can choose the toys she wants. It's interesting to see that she gravitates more toward dolls than my son did without us encouraging it. Um, But it also makes me think about some of my friends that have daughters. I have one friend in particular and her daughter's playroom is completely pink and all princessy. And I just think, wow, they're being almost brainwashed into being super girly from such an early age. But what if one of them is not? What if, you know, that person is more masculine or something? And how is that going to affect their psyche when they see this and think, oh, I'm supposed to like this or that? Um, I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting to see now as a mom.
0: I guess your kids are probably too young to talk about it. But I, I'm wondering, as they get older, do you plan to, to engage them in conversation around this or kind of just wait till they come to you?
1: I guess we'll have to see. I probably will engage with them in conversation, but I don't know exactly when or what that will look like. I can say my four-year-old boy now is... Maybe starting to be a little more aware of boys versus girl type stuff. And I remember in the beginning of the school year, last year his favorite color was orange. And then one day he said it was blue. And I knew that was because blue is what's prominent in the classrooms. And I I felt a little sad about that. But on the other hand, he loves unicorns. Because who wouldn't love a beautiful white flying horse with rainbow hair? And he doesn't know that yet that that's a quote-unquote girly thing, and I like that. So I let him have
0: his unicorn. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) Aren't enough unicorns in this world. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me about a time when you thought, I can't do something, or if I try to do this thing, that the consequences would be so great that it simply wasn't worth trying?
1: I'm not sure if there's anything I have personally that I haven't tried to do because I was worried about the consequences as it relates to gender. And I think that's because my mom was always in the back of my mind telling me to be independent and that I could pursue whatever it was I wanted to pursue. But this question makes me think about a Facebook group that I'm in called Harder to Kill. And there's also a podcast by the same name. The woman that runs it, her name is Steph Gaudreau. Steph's mission is to help women be strong and resilient and her vision is that one day all young girls will grow up to be strong women who know their self-worth and aren't afraid to take up space and live bigger and don't worry so much about bullshit societal standards of what women should look like. Um, Because those standards are just basically always telling us to be smaller and smaller and smaller. And so what does wear the shorts mean? Wear the shorts means if you don't want to wear shorts when it's hot out or a dress or a tank top because you don't want to get sunburned or bit by mosquitoes or what have you, that's fine. Don't do it. But don't not do those things and be really uncomfortable Because you're worried about what other people think, because you're gripped by this fear of being body shamed or stared at or made fun of. And it's really sad to think about and see in this group how many women really struggle with that Mm. all the time. Um, Just to give you an example, uh, scrolling through before, um, talking with you. And there was a post about a woman who hadn't worn shorts for 36 years, but she found the courage through this group, uh, to do so and to celebrate that, Hey, my body's done a lot of great things. It's taken me all these places, produced, done all these wonderful things. I'm going to wear shorts if I want to wear shorts. Uh, so I think it's a beautiful thing that Steph is doing. So the crazy thing that I did, I, as a kid, or young woman, didn't have a problem wearing the shorts, but I did want to be perfect. And uh, I was really into fitness, obsessed with this magazine filled with fitness models. And they were really strong and everything, but they also had these perfect breasts, despite working out all the time. And even the women in the gym I went to had breast implants. So I thought, well, all these women do it and they're fitness professionals, so obviously it's not an unhealthy thing to do. And that's the one thing I can't really change about my body through exercise. So I actually got breast implants when I was 19 and looking back, that that's kind of crazy. Nobody thought it was a good idea, but I was just stubborn and wanted to do it. I'm grateful I haven't had any complications or anything like that, Um, but I'm also done with them and looking forward to getting them out.
0: When you told your mother that you were going to do this, how did she respond, or did you tell anybody? Did you just go ahead?
1: I told my mom. She reached out to her cousin, who's a nurse, and um, she advised against it. My mom freaked out and didn't want me to do it. My boyfriend at the time thought it was totally unnecessary. I just had it in my mind that I wanted to do this. And it was obviously harmless because all these other women did it. So why not? It's just a young and stupid thing to do.
0: What did you think the result was going to be? How did you think your life would change by getting the operation?
1: I just thought that then I could look perfect. I'm not sure if I had any other goal besides that. I just, I think, put too much value in my looks at the time. And maybe that's part of going back to the conversation about ethnicity and being exotified in a way. I don't know if that's a word. It doesn't but.
0: matter. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's a word now. It's a word now.
1: Um, But just always being conscious that people were looking at me in a certain way, I guess. Even my mom, when I was a teenager, would tell me, like, you don't know how men are looking at you right now. And I really didn't initially. And then it just kind of made me uncomfortable. So I pretended like I didn't. When she said that, all it was was trying to look perfect. And going back to um, your question about post-Me Too, I think body image is another area where things are changing a lot. And I think if if CrossFit was a thing when I was growing up, I probably wouldn't have done it because the value of what a strong woman looks like is completely different now
0: than it was then. Could could you say a few more words about that?
1: In the CrossFit community, um, aesthetics actually don't really... Matter. The point is becoming a stronger, more functional human and being able to basically lift heavier shit and move faster. But it's not about doing certain exercises so that your butt or arms or this or that look a certain way. It's just about being healthier. And I think that's beautiful. Uh, I wish, like I said, that that was popular when I was growing up. And also... Um, I think about Serena Williams and everything she's doing. She's such a a trailblazer in many forms, Um, but she's a beautiful, strong woman. And I'm happy that girls have her to look up to now.
0: Me too. She's amazing. (laughs) She is totally inspiring. Liz, thank you for sharing that story. I, I always say this podcast is an adventure. I never know where we're going to go. I had no idea that you were going to go there, but I'm glad you did. Yeah. Liz, is there something that you would like to see regular people start doing in the United States to make a change around issues of gender?
1: Yes, I would like to see everybody advocating for parental leave. Not just maternity, but also but parental. So dads also need time away, too, when babies are born. The U.S. is one of five countries that does not have at least mandated maternity leave. The others are Papua New Guinea, Lesotho, Swaziland, and Liberia. I may be missing one, but you get the idea. The U.S. is really, really behind in this regard, and all of society suffers. I think we just don't value women and children enough in our society for whatever reason but when a woman leaves the workforce because childcare is way too expensive which is a whole nother issue and then comes back it's not just sh- that woman who then doesn't make as much money and who was already making less because she's a woman to begin with but her whole family suffers financially it's a huge loss and children suffer because women don't breastfeed as long. I mean, the world health organization recommends up to two years, whereas we in the U S on average go as far as six months, if that, and the baby's health and even IQ uh, are compromised according to science. So, um, yeah, I think everyone should advocate for that. It's just absolutely ridiculous that we don't have it. (laughs) So Liz, is there
0: anything else you'd like to add? Either something more to a question that I already raised or something that I didn't bring up? Going back to
1: wear the shorts, there were two tangents that I could have gone. I went the personal route, but I also wanted to share that how much of a struggle it is for women, not only in terms of bringing themselves to wear the shorts, but sometimes they do and then they get harassed. There was a CNN article about an African-American woman, a doctor, no less, although you wouldn't know she was a doctor until you read further down in the article because that part wasn't in the headlines. But she was traveling with her son from Miami to Jamaica. So, no, she wasn't wearing a snowsuit. She was wearing a romper, sleeveless and, and short, but everything that needed to be covered was definitely covered and the airline asked her to cover up they ended up giving her a blanket it was traumatizing to her son who was eight years old and in tears it was really disrespectful to her I I don't think if it was me and a tiny Asian American woman or a tiny white woman if that would have happened I think aside from her gender being assaulted her race definitely was as well but it's just crazy that sometimes you can wear the shorts and then... What was the rationale? For... Just that she wasn't covered up enough. But if you look up the article, you'll see that she looked fine, perfectly reasonable, certainly for someone going from Miami to Jamaica. Wow. Yeah. And that's related to, um, we talked about Asian Americans, but all women of color get objectified, I think, relatively more so than Caucasian women, just because we are the other. And uh, especially if you're in an area where there's not a lot of other minorities, we stand out more. And and for black women, they're often curvier. And, you know, they get objectified that way. It's it's much more aggressive, frankly, for black men and women.
0: Thank you for sharing that story. I think it's really important to be aware of the race aspect as well as the gender aspect especially if you've never lived through an experience like that is there anything else that you would like to add um i
1: think that's it
0: liz thank you so much for coming over i really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your experience and yeah thanks for coming over today
1: sure i'm happy to be here thanks for having me
0: You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. Your Own Voice is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with Protect Right, music by Kevin MacLeod. I see each conversation as an adventure, and I love being surprised by where we go. If you found you had any questions during the conversation, I'd really like to know. You can submit questions on the website, yourownvoice.org contact. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.